episode is brought to you by Tambourine Spring Wallet. Visit tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Tambourine Spring Water is a local business situated on Mount Tambourine. Their water is bottled at the source on their 163 meter deep privately owned spring. The spring provides access to a free-flowing underground stream which is where their premium quality spring water comes from. It then goes through a very strict sediment and UV filtration process to ensure the final product remains both consistent and of brightest quality. It is then bottled and stored until it leaves for the client's home or office. Most water companies in Australia all cut their water from a contractor before being processed and then bottled, which leaves lots of room for contamination and foreign bodies entering the water. In Tambourine Springs, it's a matter of minutes from when the water is extracted from the spring into a bottle, which is then sealed and stored into a cool dark environment. The spring water is naturally bacteria-free and passes all quality tests prior to filtration. Despite that, Tambourine Springs water have one of the strictest filtration systems, so there is no room for error when it comes to your drinking water. They do not add any chemicals whatsoever to the drinking water, the only thing the filters are doing is removing sand and sediments that comes naturally with the water. The three-stage system is there to ensure no bacteria have found its way into the water. When you purchase your water from Tambourine Spring water, you know you will receive the best spring water Southeast Queensland has to offer from a local family on a mission to provide the best service and quality. Water companies are often blamed with a good reason for polluting the environment with plastic bottles. This is not the case with Tambourine Spring Water. Your water is delivered to your door in 50 or 20 liter bottles and your used bottles are collected, disinfected and refilled again. So zero plastic waste goes into the environment. Me and my family are also using Tambourine Springs water way before they, they decided to sponsor this podcast. By experience, once you drink real spring water for a while, you cannot drink from the sink anymore or any commercial waters on the supermarket because it smells bad and has a bad taste. Ridiculously enough, in Australia you can mix 50% of the water with tap water and label and sell it as spring water. This is not the case with Tambourine Springs water. I personally know the family who owns it and I have been numerous times in their small factory to see my water being bottled straight from the spring after the filtration process. Majority of my team also purchased their drinking water from Tambourine Springs water. Find out more at tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Faisal podcast. I'm Seth, and in this episode, I talk with Lubomir Gejev. Uh, he is the man who introduced BGN Bulgaria and is now working for ADCC as organizer and referee. He is also the man who created curriculums to introduce BGN to Abu Dhabi public schools and armed forces. He is currently one of the very important people in the BJ world, being very humble in the same time, and I have the honor to call him not only my great friend, but also my first BJ coach. He is advisor at Global Aerospace Logistics Corporation and BJ Black Belt. You can follow Lubomir Gejev at Instagram, E-L underscore L-U-B-O underscore B-A-T-R-O-N. The link is in the description. And this was one of the hardest episodes to record since Lubo is living and working in the United Arab Emirates and the social networks are not accessible there. So we had to contact and record this podcast by phone. We are talking about important aspects about creating a syllabus for Jiu-Jitsu. And if you are coaching, I hope you enjoy and learn from this episode as much as I did. Why do we fight? To protect home and family. To preserve balance and bring harmony. For our kind, the true question is, what is worth fighting for? The fight is all podcast. Okay, we're on. First of all, thank you for uh, for jumping on. It was quite quite amazing to make this one. Uh, yes. So, for people who don't know you, uh, you're my first BJJ teacher, and uh, you have quite an interesting story in in, in the combo sport. So, let let's start with this one. Tell 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 me your your combo sport story, just for for people who don't know you, and uh, you're working on on very 
high level in, in BGG in Emirates. So, yeah, you're on. Okay. Well, first of all, hello to everyone. Uh, yeah, so my life story goes like this. When I was 20, I arrived in Abu Dhabi to in search for a better life, you know, and more opportunities. And accidentally, I started practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the club of one of the royal family's uh, members who invested heavily in Jiu-Jitsu and created the first ADCC competition, which lately, which later became like one of the most respected uh, competitions in this in this way. I had the opportunity to be the head judge and the head referee of that tournament for about seven years. And I had uh, the chance to practice with most of the best names in the industry. Everyone that was coming to Abu Dhabi for the tournament or to visit the Sheikh we would get to practice with them. So at a very young age, uh, I, I had access to some of the top names in the world of BJJ and grappling. And then in 2005, I went back to Bulgaria when we met and I I started uh, teaching Jiu-Jitsu and doing some MMA. As you know, we had some fights, we, we made all competitions. We organized events and we tried to develop the, the sport there, pretty much. And in 2011, I was invited back in Abu Dhabi to head the Jiu-Jitsu project, which was by that time initiated by Sheikh Mohammed, who is the Prince of Abu Dhabi. Uh, he issued a directive that Jiu-Jitsu must be practiced uh, in all government schools and in the armed forces. So they invested heavily, and from the period of 2000. 10 to now around 700 black belts teaching in uh, government organizations, mainly schools and army, but also like football clubs and a couple of other smaller organizations. And I had the, the honor to be in charge of that project for about five years. So I get to hire coaches and work on the training programs and establish curriculums for the schools and different courses for the army and for different uh, government law enforcement agencies. So, yeah, that was pretty cool, working with anywhere from 60 to about 400 black belts. And developing things that did not exist in Jiu-Jitsu was uh, very, a very interesting aspect of that work. And then for the last three years, I worked as a consultant within the armed forces on that program, so I get to manage 60 coaches uh, who train in various locations in the country, and doing pretty much the same thing, working on the training programs, doing tournaments, and trying to improve all aspects of, of the program. And that's about it. So that, that, that's very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm really proud with uh, what you're achieving, because uh, as, as um, my coach and, and friend and uh, someone who we trained together and uh, uh, like sp speaking back in the days, he was doing an awesome job back, back home as well. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, co calling it one of, one of the best tournaments, actually ADCC is the Olympics of grappling, so it is the best tournament in the world. Yes. In, in the most respect. Uh, let's talk about, you know, you say you're working about uh, about the circusium of uh, uh, of curriculum for the uh, for BJ, I'm very interested in that because uh, mm -hmm. as, as you know, I'm I'm working in here in Australia for for MMF, and uh, I actually just designed a, a curriculum for the for MMA, and uh, mm -hmm. they, they they was actually designed it was already designed from a from a French coach, but uh, uh, from my perspective, it it was it was missing a way of uh, a lot of position because obviously the guy has like a judo background, and it was missing mm -hmm. a lot of uh, you know standard positions and also some of the most advanced guards that also can be used in MMA. I'm speaking about butterfly and spider guard, which are advanced but they they have very very important application in MMA, especially if you're dealing with wrestlers, because. Uh, it's very hard to deal with wrestle, with good wrestling, like I speak MMA wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, using using only guard, you need to involve your legs, you know, to you know, you know, to, to remove him. And uh, as you know, like uh, as Bulgarians, we're coming from a country with very strong wrestling, and 
uh, competing yeah. MMA there, we had to deal with that problem. So I think that that was uh, that's very important. So I involved it into into some of the higher belts. Now, now the president of our federation here, Richie Crani, he's traveling to Bahrain, where he's going to meet the. Uh, the represent uh, the world championship is going on in Bahrain, so he's going to meet the representatives of the world federation, and and I'm, I'm hoping cool. my uh, uh, my version of the of the curriculum will will, will be respected for the men application in the world. So, can you can you tell me your your work about this curriculum for the for the schools and how you structure it by levels? I'm very interesting by that. I want to to hear your your perspective on that. Yes, absolutely. Well, first off, we need to start with uh, two very fundamental aspects of creating any curriculum. Number one is the environment in which that curriculum will be applied. And number two are the objectives of the curriculum. Uh, we had a very unusual environment or business setting here in the Emirates because we, we had to deliver jiu-jitsu to people who are not self-motivated. Those were kids in school and soldiers in the in the forces that did not know anything about Jiu-Jitsu and therefore had no uh, incentives and interest to train Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, they were pretty much forced to. And then in that aspect, the objectives of our curriculum was to build interest, to create that love for Jiu-Jitsu, to make it more uh, friendly in the terms that uh, these people are not guys who will spend their personal time to go to a club and experience physical activity that is sometimes very demanding uh, just because they really want to be the best, right? So we had to deliver it within their own setting, which is the schools, within the curriculum of other classes. And our main objective was to introduce Jiu-Jitsu to that uh, large population and build interest. And out of the people that we introduced Jiu-Jitsu to, we were expecting obviously one to two percent to to have that uh, motivation to become athletes and competitors. Obviously, during the years, this percentage grew because there were a lot of efforts put in making different tournaments and uh, giving different type of incentives and rewards so that people find more sense in training. Uh, within the armed forces, was pretty much the same. So non-self-motivated people. So that's very important because the teaching in an academy gives you the opportunity to push your students to their physical and mental limits because you know they enjoy that. They came in search for that, right? But uh, teaching an organization where people have no choice and have to, to practice is quite different. You need to please them. You need to make it enjoyable. Uh, so these two aspects are very important when you first start thinking about creating a program or curriculum. And then secondly, we need to look at the objectives in terms of technical aspects. What do we want to achieve technically? Do we want to build competitors? Do we want to build people that are overall better in self-defense and uh, physical aspect, you know, improved physical ability, what what you want to create. And again, the academies are different than what we had to experience here. So I would say uh, you, you need to look at these first two aspects. Uh, and then the third aspect that is secondary to, to these two, I would say that technically the amount of styles and applications of different techniques is so vast in the grappling in the jiu-jitsu world that I wouldn't put any any priority over techniques, over techniques. I mean, different schools have different curriculums and they apply different uh, strategies and tactics, uh, different degrees of technical skill within each belt. So if there was anyone that was proven better, you would see the winners of all tournaments being from that school. But as we know, the winners of the tournaments are from various academies, various different methodological uh, teachings. So it just means that is the person that develops a specific skill and style of game that makes him unique and that gives him 
the advantage when they compete, right? So in terms of techniques, my my approach here to creating the programs was starting from fundamental techniques that help develop the physical abilities uh, and the motor coordination skills that the player must have. So we will start with the fundamentals. And then on top of these fundamentals, once they're good, you would select a style that is applicable for the player. I mean, I've uh, I've observed a very common mistake when coaches are teaching or instructors are teaching according to what they like to use. That's very common. That's a very common mistake, I would yeah. say, coaches, yeah. because there are different body types, different mental approach. Absolutely. Uh, and some Absolutely. some people it uh, who have a similar mentality, like uh, let's say the coach, they can feel that. But there's there's so so many different mental approach. They just people who just don't like you know, for example, to push or just don't like to be on the bottom, don't like to be on the top. So that's also part of the the mental exactly. mentality of the exactly. the very person. Yeah, and I would say it's very easy to identify when an instructor is using that method of teaching by listening to the expressions he uses. When they use, I like to do this very often, the word I implies that this coach plays that style, but that's not necessarily what you're going to like or what your body type is going to, to fit, right? So I would, uh, whenever I had the chance to, to be involved in the actual training, and I sometimes did give classes and I continue to do so just uh, so I don't lose the, the ability to, to do so in the practice. I would always uh, derive from what the player feels like doing. I would observe the player or the, the student and I would think first what his body type and what his character would be more uh, capable of learning given the the techniques he applies and I would go from that angle, you know, skinny, skinny body types, use more flexible style and bulky body styles, you're more dominant top game. So you need to take these things in, into consideration when creating your curriculum. So the curriculum must be in a way general and susceptible to any body type and any uh, character of student. Right, we cannot create a curriculum coming from what we think is best to do in a certain position. And in that sense, I had the honor of working with the American guy who created the, the Armed Forces training program in the U.S., who's a second-degree black belt in Jiu-Jitsu, but also 22 years combat ranger. Uh, and it was real pleasure to work with him, and I learned. Uh, few very, very fundamental and important things from him. One of them was that uh, for a person who starts training, he needs to know the, the basic concept of what guard is, what's the objectives of the guard, obviously sweep or submission. So it doesn't matter which sweep or submission you show him, as long as he knows that the objective of that position is to achieve two other things. And then likewise, when you're in someone's guard, your only objective is to pass. But which way, which technique you would pick for passing? Absolutely. For a beginner, it really, really doesn't matter. It just needs to build the strategic uh, knowledge of what the hierarchy of positions <coughs> in Jiu-Jitsu are. And then on top of that, the players must have the opportunity to pick their own style, you know, pick their own positions. So in a nutshell, every curriculum that we've created, uh, I've always pushed for building a general curriculum that gives the opportunity for any student of any body type, of any personal characteristic to learn the strategic uh, the strategic aspect of jiu-jitsu, of grappling, and therefore the positions and the and the submissions while giving opportunity for the coach to offer anything additional, all the variances, all the different types of arm bars from the guard. That was always 
left to the coach to decide because you cannot generalize. Uh, you, you can't make a one size fits all. And also, doesn't that doesn't work like that? Doesn't work like that because uh, uh, grappling game is evolving every year. So, like uh, the way let let's take simple armbar. The the way we like uh, we was doing armbar. Like I, I'm speaking for myself. Like ten uh, years ago, mm -hmm. I was doing it differently five years ago, and now we, with with uh, with John Danafer, like I'm doing it like absolutely new way. So it, yeah. it, grappling yeah. is evolving every every day, every year. So and and as a as a coach, you have to be up to date and. And it's evolving because it, yeah. it's generally new sport. It's a very popular sport, and uh, as the attacks evolve and defense evolve, so like now, like uh, they 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 moves that uh, was let's say was effective ten uh, years ago that you cannot catch no more with that because everyone knows how, how to do that. Absolutely, yeah. So they're pretty much forgotten, but it's a very common mistake. So the uh, again, my uh, my philosophy behind teaching or creating a training program of any type would again be build it based on fundamentals because there there's there things that you need to, to know. A lot of uh, newcomers to Jiu-Jitsu are attracted by these fancy moves, but they lack the basic skills. And that that's the platform that you need to build on, right? You need a strong base to be able to build whatever fancy moves you want to build on top of that. I have a very similar view on, on any technique uh, or system because if you don't have the the, 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 the basic fundamental game, uh, any any advanced move that you, you might try, you might attempt, might put you in a very bad position just because you don't know yeah, what to do if you absolutely. get in this uh, position that you don't like. So that's, that's, that's why like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much into it, and that's why when I was creating this curriculum, like uh, because the curriculum that was created from the, this uh, judo guy was uh, created over the top game, but it, mm -hmm. it lacks a lot of position even on top that that you do as, as in in MMA. So it uh, a curriculum so starting from uh, from uh, yellow to, to to black belt should cover the the understanding of of every standard position that you get, which means. Uh, so top and, bo and bottom the guard game, top and bottom half guard game, top and bottom like uh, uh, but butterfly guard, top and bottom spider guard game. Mm -hmm. You need to know how to do yeah. with this from the bottom. You need to do how to do this this from top. Absolutely. If if you have some techniques that are more advanced, more fancy, they are right if you're able to apply them. But you should you should have like understanding for the whole game. And the same with the clinch, you know, over on the, on the clinch, double on the clinch, double overhook clinch. You should, you should have understanding of shooting takedowns, uh, takedowns from the upper ball. You should have understanding for every standard position that, that you, you get in MA. You should have like a, at least to know what to do or how to defend from some certain standard position. Yeah, from there, yeah, as, as a coach, as an athlete, the world is yours to develop, to, to evolve. Like uh, exactly. Exactly. some people will lean on, over one game, or some on the other game. That's fine. That's, yeah. that's the beauty of the sport. But I absolutely agree with that, and that that's the, the most important thing. It uh, uh, creating curriculum supposed to be giving uh, the fundamental game in and uh, let let the coaches and athletes to you know to practice wherever they know because. It, the truth is some coaches prefer one game, some coaches prefer an, another game, but you should have overall understanding. So if you go to, to do something advanced, let's say black belt level, you don't get caught in something stupid because let's say you're practicing leg walks, only leg walks for, for mm -hmm. 10 years, right? What happens if you, if you right. get if you get in, uh, in uh, north-south? In a choke. Yeah, in a choke. Yeah. What happens? What happens? Yeah. yeah, you're very yeah. good when you're getting the legs, but what happens if you get caught? Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Obviously, your leg was going to be your A game, but you should know what to do from there and able to get to, to your game. That, that, that's how you're get, yeah. getting good in, 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 every, in everything. I would uh, say that uh, there are certain principles that, that needs to be followed. If you remember back in the day, Jiu-Jitsu black belt was considered to be one of the toughest people you can spar with. And you knew if you're sparring with a black belt, you would get smashed. Why was that? Because the black belts of that time 
used to do wrestling, they used to do boxing, they used to fight bare-knuckle fights in MMA against wrestlers and against judo guys. So the techniques they used were fundamentally superior as a style, right? True. So when I'm teaching, I'm always trying to come up from that angle. What you're showing to your student at first needs to be fundamentally or principally applicable regardless of the opponent's size, style, or uh, background. It doesn't matter if he's a judo Olympian or wrestler Olympian. An arm bar is an arm bar, and a rear naked choke is a rear naked choke. So following that principle, you're building a, a foundation where your students are capable of at least defending themselves against opponents that are superior physically, technically, and uh, experience-wise. That, in my opinion, that's a good philosophy. Then once you reach that level when they're capable of applying these fundamental techniques and moves that are principally applicable, they're not applicable if the guy reacts in that way or if the guy does that. No, they're applicable regardless of what your opponent is doing, right? You're fighting for getting that arm and you'll get that arm. Once you achieve that, then it becomes an open platform, dynamic environment. Do your platters, do your kimono game the way you like and use the lapel or not. But if you're only teaching things that are applicable in the modern jiu-jitsu without having that fundamental uh, background of doing techniques that are applicable to anyone, then you're really turning into into a crippled sport. You're turning jiu-jitsu into a crippled sport, much like karate is criticized for not having punches in the in the face, and boxing is no kick, you know, clinch. You know what I mean? So it becomes a sport, no longer the martial art that it used to be. So I always come out from that angle. I always try to think first. You're teaching someone who's new. Are you giving him something that is universally applicable and useful? Or you're giving him some fancy move that is only applicable five years from now against an opponent that plays the same style? Right? That's, that's my philosophy. So you mentioned... Uh... Tradition and modern jiu-jitsu, and uh, uh, I saw that uh, soon you're going to do like a seminar in Bulgaria, and uh, that's the subject of the seminar. Uh, the, yes. yes. Uh, about, you know, the techniques and tradition in modern jiu-jitsu. Do you want to... Uh, to uh, pull up the, the veil about it and to, to tell what, to, what you are like... Uh, uh, what you're preparing for this seminar and... Uh, just to talk about about this subject a bit because it's also very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, quite frankly, the last couple of times I visited Bulgaria, I find myself uh, spending less and less time doing something interesting. Uh, most of my friends working during the day. There's not much to do, you know, once you go through through the typical things that we miss in Bulgaria, you know, when you go back. Uh, and then like sort of vacuum where I have no idea what to do with my day. So I decided this time uh, I wanted to gain back some of the contacts I used to have and get in touch with many of the people that I used to know that I haven't been in touch with. So I said, what's better than doing seminars? Because I know a lot of people would be interested. And I'm often asked when I go to for vacation to, to teach, but I've always been, you know, a little bit when I want to rest, I want to rest, right? But lately, uh, I've really focused on developing my one of my gi game, working with a six or seven back belt on a daily basis in the base where I work. Uh, and I can say that I'm in a shape that I haven't been before in terms of knowledge and of jiu-jitsu with gi. So I decided to make that distinction because I'm witnessing on a daily basis the effects of modern jiu-jitsu on coaches that are coming from jiu-jitsu background. So most of our coaches are just jiu-jitsu. They don't have experience in 
wrestling or MMA. So they're what you call a typical uh, modern black belt jiu-jitsu guys. Very good game. A lot of fancy moves, very applicable when uh, when tried against someone who plays the same style. But I also do experiments when I would uh, play more like a wrestler or do a more static uh, top position game. And I see a lot of these moves fail and a lot of the takedowns fail. And there's very uh, weak basis for stand-up game in general among some of these black belts that I'm practicing. So I decided to somewhat formulate the distinction between the two styles, highlighting what's, uh, what is useful and important to know from both styles. I mean, I'm not criticizing uh, one of them. I just think it's important for a student, uh, especially a beginner, but not only, not only beginners, but especially beginners, to be very clear about the philosophy behind his motivation to, to practice, right? So you need to know for yourself, you need to be very honest with yourself. Why are you doing that? Are you doing it because you want to get better uh, just for your self-confidence? Are you doing it because you want to compete in Jiu-Jitsu? Are you doing it because you want to compete in MMA? Or because you want to beat someone who is bullying you? Right? You, you, need to, you need to know what's your main objective, what's your driving force. And once you know that, you need to be familiar with the strengths and the weaknesses of the two different styles, the modern Jiu-Jitsu and the traditional Jiu-Jitsu. Obviously, let's say, just an example, if, you're, if you want to make it in the MMA business and you want to be able to fight, you need to do fundamental jiu-jitsu. You need that old-school rear-naked choke, guillotine, armbar, uh, top position dominating, and good self-defense guard positions. You need that. So there is no need for you to practice fancy lapel games because you, you won't use it. There's no lapels in MMA, right? But if you want to develop just uh, as a jiu-jitsu competitor, then you need that because that will give you the upper hand in in the current jiu-jitsu environment. You you need to have a good lapel, good modern style of jiu-jitsu. And obviously, if you're doing it just for uh, for yourself, you want to feel good, you want to sweat, then it doesn't really matter what you do, right? So these are the things that I want to to focus during the, the seminar, just to make it clear what's the difference between guard pass uh, if you're applying it without kimono on the street or on the ring, and what's guard pass in the modern jiu-jitsu, the way uh, you use your body weight, the pressure points, do you grip the pants or you catch the ankle, or you apply different strategy to blocking the hip and the legs, that sort of thing is what I'm really interested in giving to someone based on my observations for the past two, three years. Yeah, that's awesome, and uh, that's also very interesting. Uh, and I, 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 I can, I can blindly share my own experience with with this one because when I actually like uh, met you, and in in this, I, I met Jiu-Jitsu. Like I was, uh, uh, my interest was, was pretty much in in combat somewhere at that time. Uh, because I was mm-hmm. kickboxer who who got involved into into the combat sambo team, and uh, but I, w- I was not a sambo guy. I had a, I had a problem with the sambo guys. You know, they were way better grapplers than me, and I was just coming into their world. So I was using mm-hmm. jujitsu as my you know to take edge over them because they always was was taking me down. So then I say, okay, yeah. like uh, what I obviously cannot become a like, better wrestler than them, but uh, what I can do. And then I met to I say, okay, like why why don't train with this guy because. That's actually where I'm finding myself all the time when I, when I grapple with these guys. Like they they just taking yeah. me down. And uh, when you start with with the with the grappling world, it's 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 very fascinating, and uh, you become a technique junkie. You want to to learn everything. You want to learn that. You want to, to learn that. Then want that. that. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. in the moment you say, wait 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 a moment, I I'm lost. You know, like should I do like armbar? Should I do father? Or should I do takedowns? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you get lost. And then uh, yeah. I, I, this time I created my own team and say, okay, like uh, how I should teach that. And then we sit, uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, with my teammates, with Yabur and Vadi, you know them very well. And we say, okay, let, let's let's find what is working, and you know, just just to try to pull in in the system. And of course, that was that was like ten years ago. This system grows a lot, and uh, we like add and remove stuff that uh, all the time. But that helps me to concentrate. Okay, I'm 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 doing this stuff, and I'm not doing this stuff. Okay, so what what we want to do? We want to compete in MMA. Okay, occasionally in combat sound, but later, you know, MMA become our main objective. So that helped me to remove a lot of stuff that I don't need to learn. And I, I don't need to Absolutely. teach and to concentrate on, on the on, on the stuff that that works for what, what I want to achieve. Because the, the thing is, what happened yeah. is, uh, okay, in, in when we were starting that, like, 10 years ago, like, uh, Jiu-Jitsu and, and MMA was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, connected worlds, you know, like you, you was competing, yeah, you were competing, yeah. you were jumping yeah. in. Yeah. But meanwhile, Absolutely. the, the both sport developed in a different way. So now if you want to compete high level Jiu-Jitsu, it's very hard to compete in MMA in the same time because it's a different sport. You yeah, have absolutely. to dedicate a lot of time to absolutely. develop the skills for And the same for the MMA. If you if you want to, to compete in MMA, you, you have like very hard time to compete in high level Jiu-Jitsu because these guys yeah. are good. They, they develop like, uh, like they're just, they came to totally different sports, and that's that's the that's what happened. Moment. That's what happened, and that's good. That's good because like this, you know, the the sports that help. Close, it is close as comparing karate and and pro boxing. Absolutely, absolutely. So there is no way to develop both skills equally well uh, on a on a professional level. You either pick one or the other. But back in the day, it wasn't like that. So the jiu-jitsu guys were adaptable to anything. They would fight with anyone, they would compete in any style. They compete in wrestling, they compete in judo, and they obviously did bare knuckle fights left and right. So that's where the sport, and, and I think it all comes from the rules of the of the federations that govern that sport. The rules is what control the style. Absolutely, you know, yeah. yeah. When, when they changed one rule from not being able to, to use uh, the pants, you know, for leg takedowns or not being able to, to, to hold the grip with both hands, you know, and immediately it changes the whole style. Absolutely, because people, people are trying to win, you know, they they always do. Like, Absolutely. people will always Absolutely. invent new new ways, you know, to play with the rules. Yeah. And if you change the rules, you're changing the whole game. Yeah, so they, there is no penalties for pulling guard, you know. There's no black belt jiu-jitsu guy that doesn't teach pull guard. If you ask me, that's not something you gotta teach. You know, it's as simple as, as a front row. So why would you teach a guard pull? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the sort of thing that, uh, that I'm witnessing on a daily basis. I think there's too much focus on how to make a point or how to avoid giving a point in order to win but specifically on jiu-jitsu competitions. And that's what academies, in my opinion, need to consider when they deliver classes. You really want to know your objective. You really want to know your students. Are they pure jiu-jitsu guys? Are they jiu-jitsu fans that want to compete? If yes, then go ahead. Practice modern jiu-jitsu all you like. But if you have um, even a, a seed of planting uh, the idea of planting a seat for MMA or self-defense, you should stay away from from that. You need to go back to basics. You need to deliver that fundamental knowledge of the universally applicable techniques before you even open the topic of modern users. Right? That's my... Absolutely. My statement. Uh, so uh, let me get, get back to you quickly to... Uh, uh, to the curriculum for the children's in the army, so that I, mm -hmm. I think that uh, you say the common between uh, these both groups is like they're not self-motivated, but at the same time, it's yeah, it's, it's very different, by my opinion, working with uh, you know like uh, children and also working with uh, people who are like more professionally oriented in in mm -hmm. in common in, in army. Like uh, how 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 you did that? I'm I'm kind of curious how 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 you did that in in the the curriculum. Well, uh, like I said, so the two, the, the two aspects that uh, make some difference are, the, are both environmental, the external, the external factors. So in the school, we only teach 40-minute class. 
because that's how the school curriculum in general is, right? Every other subject is a 40-minute period class. And out of that 40 minutes, by the time the kids change their kimonos, you're left with 30 minutes at best. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect in school, there was a little less focus on sparring. We would focus on a, a interactive warm-up where you, you engage the kids in doing exercises that are more game-like so that you, you make it interesting for them. And then you teach a technique and you get them to practice that technique for as much as the rest of the period allows you. Whereas in the Army, the classes are an hour and a half with hour and a half. So we have enough time to make proper warm-up, uh, different types of warm-up, at least once or twice a week. It's more physically demanding and intense. Uh, one time in the week is more stretching. And then the other time is free for the coach to, to pick whatever he likes. Uh, also, in both, there is a system of approaching for a stripe test and a belt test. They're both based, given the, the circumstances, uh, that both organizations are a client, private client, we had to give them a specific structure of advancing in belts. Therefore, the coaches are not deciding when the student is ready to get uh, his stripe or belt, but both curriculums are made on uh, achieving a certain amount of classes, 40 to 48 classes. That gives you the precondition to be tested for the stripe. Uh, so that's the common thing between both curriculums. In terms of techniques, uh, although the curriculums are different and they have changed uh, since I left uh, my previous company, they've changed a lot of uh, techniques in the curriculums. I would say that has not made any bit of difference to the level of competitors and to the level of people that that practice, which is why I can uh, comfortably say which techniques are you teaching doesn't really matter because the people that are self-motivated would eventually find a way to learn whatever they want to learn. What you need to give is a basic fundamental understanding and you need to observe a minimum amount of achievement in terms of uh, exercising or uh, doing the, the techniques and provided that, like I said, in this environment, there was no external company organization that can say this guy doesn't deserve that belt, right? So we had to give them the equal opportunity when they achieve the number of classes to achieve their stripes. So uh, I would say with the environment here, uh, definitely, give a different platform for developing uh, jiu So not all belts given are necessarily uh, corresponding to the level expected for that belt in the jiu world, right, in the rest of the world. But uh, since we have to deliver the training and the people have no choice, you, you can't really expect them to perform like top athletes you know, and be mm-hmm. a killer purple belts. So, yeah, that that makes a big difference, big difference. I would say what if, if you were to take uh, some sort of advice from, from my experience, is that focusing on the techniques doesn't make any difference. It, it really doesn't. There's certain fundamental principles that you need to follow, you need to deliver. Those are improving motor skills, improving coordination, agility, strength, and flexibility, all the physical aspects. Then is teaching your students the fundamental uh, principles of martial arts. That is distance, that is balance, body coordination, performance, uh, reaction, you know, and then how to defend himself effectively, and from there, you should really 
then it, it becomes an open platform. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what you uh, so thank you for that and that 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 all, all this this is big becoming an awesome episode. And uh, uh, can you tell what you're working at the moment? Uh, over as projects that that's that's something you did and uh, what what you're doing at the moment, like uh, except uh, the things that you mentioned. I'm, my whole, almost my whole time is dedicated to my work. And I was only recently helping an organization in Dubai to, to make an MMA event. I did find some fighters, help them with managing the event in preparation. Um, you know, just little technical stuff, but I wouldn't call that uh, like a, a project because it was for a short period of time we achieved uh, the guys made the tournament and that was it so i'm not doing anything really outside my work um, i'm focusing on the work i'm focusing on my game i'm trying to go back to jiu-jitsu game you know which had which i had forgotten doing more like mma type of uh, game for the last few years Mm-hmm. And that's my focus on and I'm not involved in anything other than that. Uh, how people get, can get in touch with you? I, it, it was a bit hard to make the make the contact between us, but uh, what was the was the best uh, way for people to to follow you to and, and to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm no longer on Facebook. Uh, from the social media platforms, I only use Instagram and LinkedIn, so all my profiles are acceptable there. They're open profiles, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, put, put, I'll put link in the description. And uh, before we wrap this one up, uh, I, I'm, I'm itching, you know, to ask a question, uh, and uh, uh-huh. it comes from uh, from experience I had in Albania when I was uh, coaching there a bit, when I was working on a project there. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess in Emirates, it it, it is kind of a bit similar, but it's also like it's also different because of the development of jiu-jitsu there. Uh, how the women are doing there? Like uh, Emirates are like uh, famous to being a bit conservative towards women. How the women are doing in, in jiu-jitsu there? Well, in that aspect, they're doing great, man. So in 2009, uh, when the project in the school started, for the girls, it was uh, always optional. The boys had to train, and the girls had the option to choose whether they train or not. And just within a few years, we had um, almost a thousand competitors out from the girls' school, from the girls' schools. Um, I think provided women, uh, young women and girls in the country, with the opportunity to express their uh, opinion, to express their characteristics through sport. Uh, so they've made a revolutionary change in, in that aspect. I mean, there is absolutely no distinction between uh, competitions between boys and girls. They're doing equally well on both. Uh, they provide opportunities for both equally. There's a lot of support from the government uh, towards that movement, you know, in, in many other aspects of life too, you know, they're encouraging women to, to be proactive and to be engaged in any aspect of life in any industry. But the Jiu-Jitsu has definitely been one of the best platforms where observable results and measurable results can be uh, observed. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to mention that yeah. because uh, that's awesome and uh, that's also changed like, how like uh, people don't realize but how the sport is a tool to actually change the world and it, that, absolutely. That, that's absolutely, you know, like uh, changing absolutely. a so conservative country into into a powerhouse in, in, yeah. in Jiu-Jitsu it, it, and that, that gives the women a way to express themselves. That's absolutely amazing and that's why like was keeping this uh, kind of, you know, for the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The question I like to ask, just because of the name of the podcast, uh, what is worth fighting for from your perspective? Uh, I've come to realize that in that industry, 
in the sports and the martial arts. If you, if one day when you're 70 or 80 years old, you want to look back and be happy with what you've achieved, you need to spread the knowledge you've gained through other people. Um, I've never been so much fan of competition or achieving medals because only few in every sport, only few are those that remain, that, that uh, become legends, right, in, in any sport. If you take the percentage of people that practice and the percentage of people that become legends that are known worldwide and that will always be referred to, it's insignificant. There are only few lucky to be those, you know. So if you're not one of them, then I say uh, what's worth fighting for is spread the knowledge. Give as much as possible from what you've learned to others because you don't know who you can inspire. You don't know how much you can change someone's life. Maybe one of those people can become one of those legends and that will make you, you know, proud. So, yeah, that's it, man. Spread the knowledge. Well, you're very humble, my, my brother, and, uh, but uh, you have to be honest, you, you planned the seat of Jiu-Jitsu back home and now everyone is, is training like pretty much because you, you brought it back home. So you're definitely a legend for the sport back home and it changed the environment of the, of the combo sport back in Bulgaria. And uh, what you're also doing at the moment is, is just amazing. And uh, I, I, I know people tend to forget, but uh, you know, like uh, you're one of the, the most successful people in the combo sports coming from our country. So I'm, I'm really proud to know and, and then to, to yeah, call you my friend. So thank you for that. That, that. that that was really awesome. It it was really amazing episode, and uh, and I know like uh, it, it. We was doing this with a with a great time difference, so we're trying not to catch like morning night because we have six hour uh, time difference. They always hard. So thank you for for doing that, and uh, I will stop recording now. And thank you for 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 taking the time. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for reaching out and staying in touch. And I will be. I would love to do that any other time. Of course, we have to do this again. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Fightzilla podcast. Subscribe in your podcast app to receive the next episode where I talk with a true BJJ pioneer, the man who introduced BJ in Laos, my friend and BJ brown belt Amata Lair. We are also talking about his interesting story about immigrating in his own country, the philosophy of how you need to die many times and he also shares a great Zen lesson from an old Judo master. Mm-hmm.